Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is anybody happy to be in the house of the Lord today? Whew. I don't know about you, but I feel like we could just go on all day in worship. So maybe I'll preach half the day and then the other half we'll just worship. We'll take off our shoes and just have us a Holy Ghost dance party. Amen? Whew. I don't know about you, but I like to have fun in church, and it is looking like a great day in church. <laughs> Whew. Thank you, Jesus. So I just want to apologize ahead of time. You know, these allergies are, are really messing with my voice, and so I apologize. I've got cough drops, and I've got Jesus, and I've got water, so we should be good, right? So our um, staff, our ministerial team, has um, they're practicing preaching, and so every minister's meeting, they come in, and they get to share a message, and then we get to critique one another. It's kind of fun. It's kind of scary, but it's always Jesus, and so I'm going to steal one of their opening lines from last week because, y'all, it was awesome, and so I want to ask y'all this question. Why don't jewelers want Jesus in their jewelry stores? Because they hear he breaks every chain. <laughs> I was doing that call, and I had the kids, and so I, I was in the car driving, and I put them on mute, and I said, hey, guys, guess what? <laughs> and I immediately told the joke to my kids. But the awesome thing is he does break every chain. And this morning, I believe he, is he has been breaking chains, but there are going to be chains broken as this message is shared this morning. And so I want to encourage you to get the wax out your ears. I want to encourage you to leave the sensitivity at the door. You've got a Cajun girl up here. And I'm just going to tell you how it is. In love, right, Don? But I do, I believe he wants to break chains of religion off of us this morning. There is a wind blowing in our church. There's a wind blowing in our nation. And I don't know about you, but it's so important for me that we're all right smack in the midst of that wind, that the Holy Ghost would blow upon our lives and the fragrance of Christ would be spread all across the land that we inhabit. And that means that I have to constantly, as a believer, be pursuing Christ, not pursuing knowledge, not pursuing stature, not pursuing anything but to know him today. Not knowing him 30 years ago, not knowing him 10 years ago, not even knowing him last year or last month, but I need to know Jesus for myself today the life of the believer. And so our verse for today is my life verse. And I was so thankful when my precious husband said, babe, you want to preach this message? <laughs> yes. It's Matthew 6, and it says, but seek first. Everybody say first. first. Not second, not third, not a top priority, but number one. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things 
all these things will be added unto you. And so I'm going to tell you all a little story because I like to get, I like to just hook you in. And so, you know, I got born again as a young adult and I was a little wild. Nobody can believe that around here. And I was a little wild and I get born again and I have no idea any direction for my life. I am a lost cookie, right? I mean, I am a loud Cajun girl in the middle of a Southern Baptist church and I'm like, Jesus, I stand out. Like, I walk in, everybody goes, there she is. And, but one thing was that I got born again. I didn't find religion. I didn't find rules. I didn't find a club. I got a hold of Jesus. Or should I say Jesus got a hold of my heart. And so I found myself pursuing him. I, I got to let all my friends go. I had to break up with all my friends. Got rid of all the movies. Got rid of all the CDs and DVDs. Actually, it might have been VHSs back then, but let's not talk about that. Because they all had stuff that triggered me to my past. And I found myself crying out to the Lord one night in my early 20s. I'm in an apartment by myself. All I want is to be happy. I thought you were supposed to get married and have babies at a young age, and there I was. Who would want this woman who lived a crazy life, and what am I even doing with myself? And, you know, I had spent time with the Lord that night, and I had worshiped and been in prayer and in the Bible, and I'm in bed, and I still wasn't satisfied. I still had that aching in me. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just, it won't go away. And I'm holding on to the ugly tan and green comforter that I don't know why I bought. And I'm crabbing it, and I'm crying, and I'm, Jesus. And all I could cry that night was, Lord, make me a holy woman. I grew up Catholic, and a holy woman was a nun in a habit with no makeup. And she was scary, like really scary. But Jesus was gotten, gotten a hold of my inner man, and that cry was birthed in him. It wasn't a religious prayer being prayed. It was the Spirit of God in me. Lord, make me a holy woman. And I had a vision that night, and that vision was of me as an old, beautiful, strong, and healthy old woman. And I'm sitting on the front porch with another beautiful old woman. And there were kids playing all over the yard. Zach would have had a cow because there was all kinds of toys spread out all over the yard. And we're laughing and talking about all the things of God we've seen over the course of our life. And I knew in that moment that it wasn't about finding a stature for today and having the church accept me as a loud Cajun woman, but it was about me learning to live an entire life spent experiencing and knowing Jesus. And it changed the course and the trajectory of my walk because I was no longer seeking knowledge just for knowledge. I was no longer trying to, you know, practice the prayers. I've told y'all I would go to drive to Sunday school, and I'd practice how to open and how to close a prayer in case I was the one called upon, because it didn't matter. We didn't have to have the Holy Ghost upon us, right? We didn't have to, we just had to make it sound very spiritual. I didn't have to do that anymore. 
I just had to find a way to get a hold of Jesus. And at that point, I still didn't know my purpose in life. I didn't know my calling in life. I didn't have all the answers. I had no idea I would be a pastor, married to a great man, have all these babies, and get to pastor and shepherd hundreds and hundreds of people over the course of my life. I had no idea any of that. But it began the pursuit. And I found myself a couple of years later living in New Orleans, and I'm at my young adult pastor's wedding, and you know, this girl, she is still amazing. She has been through the valleys, and she looks like Jesus. And her mom, who was a woman's pastor, shared at her wedding reception. I'm still in my opening. Remember, we're here all day. It's all good. <laughs> Just joking for the new people. <laughs> and she began to share how as a woman's pastor, and she thought she was doing the work of God, and she found herself busy, busy, busy all the time that this one particular day she was hurrying out of the house. She barely woke up in time to brush her teeth kind of morning, and she's running out the door, whereas her elementary age daughter, who now was the person getting married, who had gotten born again and baptized in the Holy Ghost at the age of three, yes, it happens, was in the, the family room, Worshiping and praying in tongues, hands raised. And here mom goes, Bible under her arm, right? I gotta go, I gotta go teach! <laughs> and gets sidetracked by the elementary age. Jesus, you're worthy. All in the morning before school. And she said, you know, at one point we thought, this girl ain't ever getting married because that's all she ever did. She ain't ever going to meet anybody because she's always in her prayer closet. She's always pursuing Jesus. But the moment that mom began to talk like that, and she was probably like in the late high school years at that point, the Lord gave her this scripture. Melissa is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you don't have to worry about her future because as she seeks first things first, all these things will be added unto her. And that day I got it. I began to understand all the things that I wanted in life that I thought I had to make happen. There are things that you still want in life and don't understand why you don't have. Seek first the kingdom of God. It doesn't make sense in the natural, but it's a spiritual principle. It's a spiritual principle. We begin to align our life around him. He doesn't align around our desires. He doesn't align around what we think we want to do. But we put him first, and everything else begins to happen. You know, I, I met Zach at 28-ish, married at, 29, at 30, and man, I had people, like, my parents drove in town when I was like 27, and they're like, listen, we got to talk. We're going to die one day, and you're going to always be alone. <laughs> and I'm like, so would you like me to, like, snap my finger? Right? And, and I could just go back to this scripture. I don't know what to tell y'all, but I'm doing Jesus. I, I, I'm pursuing him. I'm living for him. And if he wants me to be alone, then he's going to take care of me. And if he doesn't want me to be alone, he's going to bring someone in my life. And the moment Zach Prosser walked in the church doors, I thought, there goes my singlehood. 
Because it wasn't about me pursuing him or him pursuing me. It was about us pursuing Christ and Christ taking care of the needs of our life. So if the hook isn't in yet, then you might want to put your feet back under the pew so I don't step on them in a second. I tell y'all we're going to have fun. So when we're seeking, to seek. To seek is that we're going to attempt to attain something. We're going to attempt to find or we're going to ask for something. And so in our relationship with Christ, it is a pursuit. It is not a we have arrived. Say it's a not, I have arrived. The last time I checked, all of you had a pulse. And so if we have a pulse, we're still on this side of heaven. And so there's still more of him, more of heaven, more of the things of God for us to learn, for us to receive, for us to partake in. Have you asked him today for more of him? And you're like, but pastor, I'm in church. I know, remember, we're breaking, the, we're breaking chains this morning. This morning, when we come to church, do we ask him, Jesus, I just want more of you. Like, God, I'm coming to church, and I want to worship, and I'm going to serve, and Lord, I, I'm, I'm coming ready, you know, I'm coming ready to pour into somebody. But Jesus, beyond all of that, I need you. I need you to show up. I want to know you. I want to know that I met with my king today. Do you come to church hungry? Do you wake up in the mornings hungry for more of Jesus? Maybe we come to church because we just enjoy being in the building. We have people tell us all the time, man, when I drive in the parking lot, the peace comes over me and all the cares go away. I just have to get in the building. So are we pursuing the building and the people loving on us? Now, I'm not being ugly. I'm really, this is mama loving on you. I just need somebody to love me today. I just want to get, if I could just get in the building, then, I don't ha- then people will talk and I won't have to figure out all the life and the muck that's happening. I just want to get in the building. You know what? Maybe you came because you're like, I just want that pastor to lay hands on me. He laid hands on that person. They got healed. And if he lays hands on me, it's going to do it. Do your thing. He didn't, he didn't pray for us this morning. He had other people pray. I'm mad at him now. I don't want those prayer people praying for me. I want pastor praying for me. Y'all laughing because we've heard it. Maybe, no, y'all don't get mad at me, remember? I love you. Maybe sometimes, not every day, but just some days, you come as a judger. I'm going to go see what they really doing. I'm going to get in the prayer line. I want to see if she pushes me. Maybe you're not judging us. Maybe you're just judging the person you're sitting by. Have we ever said, oh, I'm so glad they were there. They really needed to hear that sermon. Maybe you just like to come to judge my husband. And then we all know that more people come to judge me. <laughs> Maybe some come because you are, the, you are the holy anointed one, and you came because you're going to minister to everybody. 
but we come to seek Jesus. And look, I'm not saying all those examples to, ju to judge or to be ugly. I'm saying them because it sets us free. It allows the Holy Ghost to begin to convict. And it's not, conviction's the most beautiful thing. Because conviction draws us to the Lord. It points us to Jesus. It brings us into a divine relationship with him that was deeper than before we had the conviction. So when, when those things come and you're like, I don't like her saying that, that's the Holy Ghost nudging you. And instead of getting mad at me, because you can be mad at me all day long, you won't hurt my feelings. It's all good. Lean in to that uncomfortable feeling. Lean in and say, Lord, I want to know you in this. I don't know how to not judge her. She's crazy, and she's wearing leather pants on the pulpit. I don't know. I don't, I don't like when Pastor Grace does blah, blah, blah. She irritates me when she starts doing that. Okay, Jesus knows, so we, we press in and say, Lord, help me to love Pastor Grace through that. Help me to not be distracted by X, Y, and Z. Help me to see you in the middle of it. Because just like you have to put up with us, right, someone's putting up with you. It's life. We all have a pulse. But when we seek right? When we're seeking Jesus, when we're not here for our own demise or our own satisfaction, but when we're here, like pastor said, to press in, then we get beyond all of the natural. We get beyond all of the distractions, all of the, emo the carnal emotions, right? And we find Jesus. We find the one whom we love. We're seeking him today, right here, right now, as your pastor. I'm seeking him in this pulpit for myself, for transformation. Are you still desiring transformation in your life, in your walk? And if you think you're good, God help you, brother and sister, because you need a reviving. We need a transformation right here, right now, a change in our hearts, a change in our inner man for more of him. More, Jesus. More of you, Jesus. You know, it can be as simple as raising your voice with somebody. It can be as simple as getting frustrated. I don't know why they don't just listen. You know, that's just, they just don't believe. They just don't want to believe. Y'all, we need transformation. Transformation. It's so interesting, because we can all sit here and say, amen. Go ahead, girl. <laughs> My husband, he gets so tickled when I preach. Jesus. We can all sit here and say amen. But you know, my women's Bible study is a precious example. We're doing it. This whole year is on discipleship, and 
you know, we've labored here for a long time. It'll be nine years this summer. And um, this year, we're, we're going for it. We're going for it. And so we're doing this book called Absolute Surrender. And every, this book, I don't have to say anything. They just look at the book and go, oh, Jesus. Because it's truth coming out the page, challenging every part of our walks. And so one of the things that I want to ask you today is when you're in a group setting, <laughs> when you're in a prayer meeting and it's time to pray, what's your response? Is our response, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I'm glad that we call upon the name of the Lord and you come. Is it that you begin to search the scriptures for, you know, like, here we go, Jesus, come. Oh, that's a good one. I'll read that one until they're finished. Or do you start looking through all your papers? Oh, oh, what's the Bible barf do I have in here? Do I have any extra pages that I have? Bible barf, like all the stuffing that we put in? Only Pastor B got it. We had some people from the district come to one of our meetings one time, and we said in the middle of the meeting, all right, let's pray. And it was our board, I think, that night. And we said, let's pray, and our entire board erupted in tongues. We didn't think anything of it. We just kept praying. And they asked us, like two minutes later, they said, can we meet after this? And we thought, hmm, sure. What's that all about? And they said, how do you get your people to pray? Because we do this on a higher level, and we can't get anybody to pray. And it was real easy for us. Well, we teach them. We teach them. And that's what we're doing today is we're teaching how to seek him. That it's not a ritual. It's not a religion. It's not a checkbox. I'm just going to show up, and it's going to happen. But I'm going to actively choose to pursue more of the lover of my soul. I'm going to actively choose to get a hold of Jesus for today. You got a raise? Get a hold of Jesus for that raise. You've got marriage problems? Get a hold of Jesus in that marriage. You've got dreams for your future? Get a hold of Jesus for those dreams. Jesus, I don't want to do this on my own. I don't want to make it about me. I don't want to make it about what I'm capable of accomplishing. I want the breath of heaven over this in my life. I want it to glorify you. And as we begin to pursue him, Scripture tells us, seek and you'll find. Knock and the door's going to be open for you. He's faithful to show up. But we have to do our part and pursue him. We have to do our part and yield it over to him. Matthew says, blessed. Everybody say blessed. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed. You know what that word blessed literally means? Congratulations. Congratulations. When our brother was up here testifying, I was like, congratulations. Congratulations. Blessed is he. Blessed are we, you and I, as we pursue Christ, as we begin to prioritize him for our life. And I'm not talking, okay, you're going to leave here and get out your calendar, and you're going to color code prayer time, and color code worship, and study the Bible time. I'm talking you're going to get rid of all your little religious controlling ways and learn to lay on the floor and say, Jesus, I'm not moving until you come. I'm not moving until I meet with you. And what does that look like? I don't know. It's different every single time. Every single time, I'm over here worshiping, and i got to preach today, and I don't have one part of my message running through my head. I don't have one care of the world. we got this long list for today. I don't even know what that list is anymore. I was like, I'm going to break out and dance or start and run some laps in this place because it was the most freeing place with him. Pursuing him, hungry for his presence. I don't care what you do today, Jesus. I just want to be with you. I just want to know you. I want to experience you. I want this Bible to come to life. This Bible alive in my life, alive in my family, alive in my church, alive in my community. Jesus, help me to hunger for you. Help me to thirst for you. Help me to desire more of you. And, and it never stops. We don't ever get to stop seeking. <clears throat> so I shared this example Wednesday, and I'm going to share it today and just go with it for a second. So I'm also a health coach, and so I love nutrition, right? I love nutrition. I love fitness. It's all good. It's all part of God's design. And so in it, right, we teach people how to eat right, and then every once in a while we do what's called a feast day. And all the men are like, amen. And a feast day, we eat more than we normally eat, and it's all about helping jumpstart our metabolism, right? And so feast day comes, and I remember my first feast day, I was like, Zach, look at all this food, it's insane. And there I go, you know, I'm eating, and I'm eating, and the end of the day comes, and I'm like, man, I don't think I'll ever want to do a feast day again. That was like a lot of food. Like, that was a lot. And it satisfied, but at the same time, it was like, wow. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to jumpstart my metabolism. This is weird. And the next morning, I woke up, and I was no longer full. I woke up hungry, like really hungry. And I fast every day. I fast every day till noon. But I woke up like at 7, Carol, and I was like, give me the kitchen. Because when it revs up our metabolism, right, it causes us to want more. Our bodies used all the nutrients, and now it's craving more. And how much more is it with our relationship with Jesus? 
that it's ever, ever growing. That as we pursue him, as we seek him first and we find him, I mean, I want you to think right now, I want you to think about the last time or maybe the first time for some of you that you really had an encounter with the living Jesus. I mean, nothing compares to his presence and his love. But when we encounter him, it makes us want more. It makes us desire him all the more. And so it begins to be this cycle of us expanding our capacity for him and him meeting us in greater ways and our capacity expanding and him meeting us in greater ways. And it's a constant transformation, a constant changing of our inner being that we would be made more like him into his image, not for our personal use, but for his glory. And as we'll see in the scriptures, for our benefit. But we get lost in that. We no longer care about that as much because his presence is so amazing. There's healing in his very name. There's everlasting joy found, indescribable joy in his presence. Lost in him, not worrying about everything around us, because he's taking care of that for us. Are y'all doing okay? This, this old guy, this old dead guy, McLaren, says that the business of our salvation ought to engross us entirely, hither all of our desires and cares and inquiries. Are all of our inquiries, all the cares of the world about Jesus? I want every area of our life, mine and yours together, to be entangled with the kingdom of heaven. Entangled so that the entirety of our life, when people look at us, they say, she's been with Jesus. When they look at our lives, they say, he might be nuts, but that man knows Jesus. Not because we preach. Not because we talk at somebody. Y'all, I've been a part of this group for a couple years. It's not at Celebration. I see them all around town. I see them three and four times a week right now. And I have been preached at. I have been talked at. I have been told at. But I have never once been loved on. I have never once been asked, do you know Jesus? I have never once been asked, do you have a home church? I've never been asked, would you like to come to my church? I'd like to be asked that. I'll tell them no. I got a great church. <laughs> but my point is, watch your toes. You might have the truth, but if you're talking at somebody, they're not going to see Jesus because your mouth is too big. And I'm saying that in love. But you see what I'm saying? Like, they mean well, and I'm praying for them, and I'm loving on them. And I ask them about their potato night and where Jesus was in the middle of it. They have to think I'm nuts, and I hope they do. But I don't see Jesus in the middle of it. I see good works. 
And I pray that our lives is so engrossed that like John Bunyan, you know, he wrote the second most purchased book in the world. Anyone know what it is? Pilgrim's Progress. It doesn't have one scripture quoted, but the whole book bleeds Bible. Does your life, now don't throw things at me. I'm, I'm faster than you, right? Does our life and our actions and our love and our words bleed the love of Jesus? Or are we preaching at people? Because let me tell you, nothing you say or I say will ever save someone. Let me repeat it for those of you hard of hearing. Nothing you say or nothing I say or pastor says will ever is the thing that gets someone saved. It is the love of God. It is the grace of God by the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives that awakens people to the love of God. It is up to us to create and foster an atmosphere of Christ in our life. Christ Jesus, he alone saves. He alone delivers. He alone baptizes in the Holy Ghost. He alone, Christ and Christ alone. I want our lives to be entangled. I want our lives, I want people to see my life with my kids and my life with my husband and my life with y'all and see Jesus. I don't want my church to look back in 50 years and say, man, she could do a three-point message like nobody's business. But she was mean behind closed doors. I've seen those ministers. Yeah. I've seen those church people. You could open the door as good as anybody else. Welcome to celebration. And then turn around and get all ugly with your wife or your kid. I want people to, people to say at the end of my days, that girl loved Jesus more than anything. That girl would mess up. She would fall down, but she got back up in the spirit every single time. And she trusted God with her life like nobody's business. Because it's not about me. It's about Jesus who saved my soul. It's about Jesus who sets me free. It's about me living a life that glorifies him. I don't want to live safe. I don't want to live mediocre. I want to live a life of abundance found in Christ. And I want it for you. I want every dream you've ever imagined to come to pass. But I want it in Christ. In Christ. That's a surrendered life. We don't need to be devoted believers where we do a checkbox of systematic Bible reading plan, check, but you're cursing out the driver next door. Devoted believers are really good at checking boxes and doing all the right things and looking real religious in front of people, but digging holes and putting all the poop in the holes and pretending like it doesn't exist. Devoted believer, I believe, but I'm going to pretend. 
The last time I checked, Jesus' blood conquered sin and death once and for all. Jesus' blood is bigger than you. And your issue and your anger problem and your depression and all the things that you deal with, Jesus paid the price. And so instead of being a devoted believer, I want you to throw that idea out the way. And everybody's like, what is she talking about? She's telling me not to read. I am not telling you not to read your Bible. I'm telling you to stop being religious. Instead of being a devoted believer, we need to be a surrendered believer. Good morning, Holy Ghost. What do you want to do in me today? Driving to work, Jesus, I just look forward to seeing you today. Whether it's me, in me, or in my coworker, whether it's in some phone call that's made, Jesus, I just want to see you today. You know, I had a phone call this week with the owner of a dance studio that I was calling for something in the natural. And as soon as she opened her mouth, I saw Jesus and thought, yeah. I didn't want to have that call. It was an awkward call. It was a vulnerable call. But man, Jesus showed up. A surrendered believer. Jesus on the phone with the bill collectors. Jesus on the phone with the ex. Jesus on the phone with your rebellious kid. Jesus, I'm doing a parent-teacher conference. Jesus at the doctor's office. I love telling the doctors, well, that's good but you're not the last, you don't have the last say. There are other doctors that have different opinions, and I know the great physician. Now, go to the doctor. I'm not telling you not to. There's balance. So talking about seeking and that when we seek and we find and knock and the door is opened, you know, that's what happened at Asbury. You know, we see it all over social media that God's showing up on college campuses and they don't have some special formula, but they're hungry. They're hungry. They're innocent. They don't care what it looks like. They're not looking for fame. They just want Jesus. They're not looking for their name in ministry lights. They just want Jesus. And so they are open, willing vessels seeking his kingdom. You know, if you've listened to those testimonies, those are kids that don't even know what they're doing in life. No offense to the young people. But he's blessing them. He's pouring out his spirit. Instead of judging them, We say congratulations. They're blessed. Congratulations to a generation that gets it. That's like Evan Roberts praying the prayer, Lord, bend me. Bend me, Jesus. And he comes. It's the cry of our hearts. Revival comes when we're hungry, when we pursue him, when we get past our own agenda. And let me... Just say this, because this is a revival church. This is a church where revival, the revival atmosphere is present. 
hello, this is Jesus. How you doing? If it rings again, I'm coming get it, and it's mine. <laughs> Y'all think I'm joking. told y'all we're going to have fun. But even being in an atmosphere of revival, even having experienced revival, church, we, we are not revival. We don't make revival happen. And if you think If you think that it begins with you, then I would say to you, as Paul said to the church of Galatia, oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? For if you began in the spirit, my version, then why do you think you can finish in the flesh? We don't make revival happen. We can't. We can't. We came here, y'all. Remember when the few that were here eight years ago? We tried to like chill out and not be so Holy Ghost. Can you imagine that? <laughs> but the problem is we'd get on the pulpit and people'd start rolling on the floor laughing. We'd start praying and people would fall out. We'd never touched them. Because it's not about us. <coughs> we are not the source of revival. We are the vessel in which revival flows. Let me say it again for those taking notes. You're welcome. We are not the source of revival. We are the vessel in which revival flows. Scripture tells us in John that out of our bellies, everybody put your hand on your belly. That's your spiritual heart down there. Out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water. That living water comes straight from the throne of heaven. It's not you are not the source. It's the source of Jesus who's pouring out his spirits. We're just a vessel, empty vessels, used for his glory. Yes, Lord, I'll make a fool of myself for you. Yes, Lord, I'll go for you. Lord, I'm scared to death to pray for him, but you said pray, I'll pray. You're between a rock and a hard place, good. That's right where Jesus wants us, to be a vessel for his glory, that when you're squeezed, what's coming out? Seeking first his kingdom. <coughs> I'm just checking to see if we're going to be here all day. We are, because I'm still on point one. <laughs> but I'm going to move on just a little bit. Not too far, though. Well, maybe not. Matthew 6.20 says this. It says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom. 
And when we talk about righteousness, you know, that, that was that prayer, Lord, make me a holy woman. That, that righteous life, that holy life is to live in the divine, to live the Zoe life found in John 10, 10, the, the divine God kind of life, the life that you and I can't make happen, but happens when we step in to the things of heaven, when we step into the place where the glory comes out. Unless we live the righteous life, we can't enter into the kingdom. And so we choose to live the life behind the veil, the life of the divine, the life that's not our own, the life that we handed over to Jesus the day we knelt and called him Lord. When it says that we're seeking first the kingdom, it's the same thing that when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray in Matthew, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know what the plans of God in heaven are? Have you met with Jesus and, 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 and had heaven connected into your life? You know, I'll never forget the service in 2019. <coughs> Pastor Grace and I just got back from Africa. God was pouring out his spirit. My husband couldn't move off the platform for days at a time. All he did was laugh. And I'm over here worshiping, worshiping. Forgive me, y'all. And I look up, and the whole ceiling's gone. And there's a glory cloud. And I see the arms of Christ wrapping around it like a bowl. And then here come his hands. And he was adjusting and aligning the church with that of heaven. And it was the most beautiful thing I'd seen. I'm still looking for an artist to draw that for me, if you know of anybody. Prophetic artist, not a naturally born artist. But it was a great picture of heaven coming down to earth. And that our prayer for celebration, our prayer for our life, is that, Lord, that your kingdom come. Not my plan, not my purposes, not my abilities, not my desires, but Jesus, yours. It's God's revealed will, which involves conduct that is pleasing to him. How do we know the will of God? So I love this in Ephesians 5 and verse 15. It says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Ooh. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so in modern-day Heather language, it's saying, hey, stop being a goober. Stop wasting your time on video games all day, complaining, gossiping, watching every rerun under the sun. Has God spoken to you about your life? Well, I can't figure it out. I mean, he told me this, but I just can't get it together. Okay, if he told you this, that's where you start. Heaven come down to earth. It might take you weeks. It might take you months. It might take you years. 
I have so many women that God is saying to get your houses in order. I have so many women that God is saying get your health in order. I have so many women saying, God, telling, being told to step out, to serve, to use their gifts. Years. Years. But they want to move beyond that to the next thing that's a little bit more fun. We have to go back to what he told us last. We have to go back to that and allow heaven to come down on earth. Allow heaven to come in our area of life. It's always uncomfortable. It should be uncomfortable. That's growth. That's change. That's purpose. Right? So we got to get a hold of what that will is, but we won't even know what that will is if we've never opened the book. So we've got to open the book. Well, you just told me to throw my systematic plan out the window. I told you to stop being religious. But we've got to be in the book so we can find him. But the difference is you open up the book and you say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know you. Because if you open up the book, he's going to tell you how to get your house in order. He's going to tell you how to get up off your tush. He's going to tell you how to get your health together. He's going to tell you how, what your gifts are and how to be used by him. But you've got to get in the book. If we're not in the book, how do we know his voice? And don't tell me you know his voice without knowing the book, because the two don't go together. His voice will always point you back to the word. The word will always glorify the Father. So we got to get in the book to know his will. And it says, hey, teach me to number my days that I might grow in wisdom. Teach me how not to waste my life. Y'all, you have a purpose. At your funeral, I want to preach to the rooftops and have a party over all Jesus did in and through your life. Not all your degrees and your diplomas and your education and trophies. Look, I got boxes of that stuff in my basement. You don't see it all over the place. I want the will of God. I want Jesus. So it says, don't waste your days. You know how not to waste your days? Be ye being filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm seeking first the kingdom. I'm pursuing Jesus. Be ye being filled. Position yourself for revival. Position yourself for Jesus to speak to you. You know, our family's going through a little something. We have some transition stuff and new information. And, man, I know Jesus is coming through. And so I keep positioning myself for him. I keep every time there's conviction, I pursue it. Every time there's a phone call, I answer it. Every, I mean, I'm going. And it's exhausting. Our ministers have been watching us. They've been praying for us. And they know I'm exhausted emotionally, mentally. But Jesus is showing up every step of the way because of purposed positioning for his kingdom. And so last Sunday night, the Lord said, you're gonna, you can't ask somebody to do something you're not willing to do yourself. And so I got up off the floor in harp and bowl, and I went to the counter, and I filled out the little form for healing room. And she said, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, yes, ma'am, I need prayer. Well, do you have to fill out the form? Do you have everybody else fill it out? I'm going to fill it out too. Humble yourself. 
So I filled out the form, and they came and got me. Are you ready? And I sat down, and you could tell some in the room were kind of waiting for me to do something. And then you have Carol, who the power of the Lord comes upon her. And she said, now, you're just going to sit and receive. She said it a little bit more calmer than that. But that's what I saw in the spirit, right? The Holy Ghost came upon her, and she was like, it's time to minister. You're receiving. And I, t- I took my position. Again, are you hungry? Are you seeking? Are you willing to be changed? And one by one, they all prayed over me. And there wasn't some crazy cloud of glory and crazy miracles happening. But what they, oh, but the peace came, y'all. Like, it was precious. Like, go to the healing room. Everybody, that's your homework. They're going to be so busy tonight. But what she doesn't know is at one point, she begins to pray a prayer that released something in me. That, that, that was God-breathed for me in this season that changes everything. And it was the same word that Paula, sitting right where she's sitting four months ago, wrote out two pages of prophetic word and said, I normally don't get this, but the Lord wouldn't leave me alone, so I wrote it out for you. There you go. And I read it and thought, oh, that looks good. I don't know. It goes in my purse. We're good, right? That was nice. But positioning ourselves, yeah allows God to come and breathe and change. And, and it let me know that I'm right smack in the middle of his will. I'm, we're not out of step. We're not out of rhythm or out of harmony. But I'm right smack where he needs me to be. Positioning ourselves for his glory. Ephesians 5.10 says, Try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. You get that email from work, don't respond right away. Leave it alone for 24 hours and ask Jesus what he has to say. Psalm 119:105 says that his word is a lamp unto my path and a light unto my a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Joshua 1x says that the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night, that you might be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Psalm 1, 1 and 2 says, blessed, there's that word again, congratulations to the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We have to be a people in his word, swimming around taking a bath in Jesus. Not reading it so we can be smarter in theology than the person next to us. We don't read and go to Bible college and go to Bible study so we can be smarter in Scripture than somebody else. I didn't go to Bible college so I can stand up here and preach. I went to Bible college so I could get a hold of Jesus for myself. 
I don't do Bible studies for the sake of I get to go teach. I do Bible studies because I need to meet with Jesus in the middle of my week. And I'm taking all my girlfriends with me. Y'all should come 10 a.m. Tuesdays. And as we pursue him, my husband's so tickled pink. Now you know how I feel every Sunday. <laughs> we seek his kingdom and we seek righteousness. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it's written, for you shall be holy, for I am holy. And y'all, that's too big for any of us. I'll, I'll let you in on a secret. You're not going to be able to do it. And that's a good thing, because when we can acknowledge it and then say, Jesus, can you help me to live a holy life? Can you, can you show me what it is to be holy? Y'all, holiness... It's not wearing no makeup. It's not me following behind my husband in submission. And look, he leads me, and I, I, I do love the word submit. I love authority. Y'all don't, so if you question this, you come talk to me later. Holiness is not about me getting some five-star review on my day-to-day -day life. Holiness for you as a man is not being a dictator in your home. Because you're to love your spouse as Christ Jesus loves the church. And the last time I checked, Jesus was full of grace and mercy, full of compassion and moved in his bowels for you and for me. Holiness is getting a hold of Jesus and living with him, transformed by his power every day of our life. It's about our character. What will be said of us when we're not around? What comes out in thick and in thin? Pastor Grace, y'all can go ahead and come on up to remind me that I have to wrap up because I might not. Everybody said, oh my gosh. So that all of these things can be given to us. All of these things. 1 Kings 3, 7 says that God said to him, because you've asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you've asked yourself for understanding. Now listen, because people are still out there judging, and you know how I know, because we can hear you up here. Because you've asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has ever seen before, and none like it shall arise after you. 
I give you also what you've not asked, but riches and honor, so that no other king will compare to you all of your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. It goes back to all the scriptures we just read from Psalms and um, from, from Psalms and Psalms and Psalms again in Ephesians about blessed and Joshua. Blessed are you and I. Mark 10, 29, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is none who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not now receive a hundredfold in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children. Don't be afraid of giving up something for him. You'll get so much more in return. The more you hold on to whatever it is, your reputation, you already look goofy enough because we can all see you holding on to it. I know, if y'all don't know me, y'all, I love to be in your face, but I love you so deeply. There's nothing we can give up that he won't replace. You know, Thelma um, is our is our personal uh, grandma here, meaning the Prosser grandma. She's like our extended family, extended mom for me, extended grandma for the kids, and you know, and not because she wanted to be. It just it's become an organic thing, and so we're praying over our situation, and she starts crying as she's praying that Lord let them know they're not alone, that we are family, the Church of God. Again, not pointing to her, but pointing to the kingdom. Heaven on earth at celebration is the Prosser's family that we're here for them. And it, I mean, I got it. I got it. That although we've left our family thousands of miles away, that God is restoring all things here. Just an example. Just a little example of how God will always come through. Going back to Psalms 1-1, blessed is the man Psalms 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to him. Trust in him, and he will act. Not trust in him and pray a prayer and then go do what you want to do. Not pray a prayer and then go strong arm somebody into believing what you want them to believe. But trust him. He's the boss. He got it. His blood's more powerful than you anyway. He's going to act on our behalf. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he'll act. He'll bring forth your righteousness. He calls you righteous. He puts his righteousness, he imputes righteousness to the believer. He will bring forth our righteousness. I don't have to try to look holy. You don't have to try to look holy for the church. There is nobody to impress. Nobody. Somebody starts putting you on a scale, just come let me know. He'll call you righteous. He does it all. We seek him, him alone. Not stature, not gifts, but we seek him, and he revives us, and he fulfills all things 
through us. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. Pastor is going to come up. We're going to take communion. And my prayer for us today is that, man, besides all the silliness that, that you saw Jesus and that he is stirring a hunger in you, recognizing that wherever each one of us, myself included, are, that there's more. There's more for us. And that as we cry out to him, he revives us. First things first, you and Jesus. So I'm going to read these scriptures over us as pastor comes up and we begin to receive communion. But I believe today he's reviving your heart. He's reviving my heart. Psalms 33.3 says, look at me and answer me, O Lord, my God. Revive me or else I die. Psalm 41.2 says, Jehovah doth preserve him and revive him. He's happy in the land. Psalm 69.32 says, be humble. The humble have seen it and are glad. You who seek God, let your heart revive. Psalm 119.40, look, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. And Psalm 119.93, I'll never forget your precepts, for by them you revive me.